You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church, located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture passage comes from the New Testament Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to follow along with me as we hear God's word for the church today. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of the one who was a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay it back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too was a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last weekend, we were on a family trip to Colonial Williamsburg. Everywhere there are these signs that read, Do not climb the trees. (laughs) And every few trees or so, we had to remind our daughter to get off gnarly roots and to quit trying to reach the branches. Parents the whole town over were reminding their kids not to take foothold on trunks or attempt to swing from these ancient limbs. It's a completely normal thing for a child to want to climb a tree. At any other place, we'd think nothing of it and let them climb on. I bet most of us scaled a tree or two in our day. But I dare say we'd all do a double take if we were to walk outside after church this morning and see a grown man climbing up one. What will we think to see an adult in his work clothes, or church clothes for that matter, scrambling up the tree trunk and out onto its limbs? Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a short man. Depending on how you translate the Greek word for stature, this could mean that Zacchaeus was physically small, or it could mean that he was immature. So whether a wee little man like the song goes, or a man of diminished character, 
he couldn't see over the crowd. Perhaps the heads in front of him were too tall, or his neighbors simply wouldn't give an inch to let someone like him in. His name, Zacchaeus, means innocent or pure, which seems ironic given who the man is. Luke goes to some length to describe him as a sort of person that we love to hate. The gospel writer says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. This designates him as a special class of sinners to his fellow Judeans. He worked for the empire, the Roman occupiers. These chief tax collectors got rich by impoverishing others. And not only that, they were also known to send troops to invade homes of their neighbors who were allegedly withholding unreported goods. Presumably, Zacchaeus and his cronies invaded the homes of common people and plundered them. The more goods they could tax, the richer they would become. That was Zacchaeus' goal, and he reached it. He was rich, as Luke says. If this story were told in World War II Europe, Zacchaeus would have the star of David on his shoulder, for he is a Jew, but he would be keeping books for the Nazi soldiers and lining his pockets with possessions from his neighbors. He's the character in the book or the film that we love to see get his just dessert in the end. But of course, that's not what happens. The other week, our daughter Eleanor and I were at a pharmacy. She wanted a treat. You know, because they put all the candy and flashy toys right at eye level on the end of every aisle. Thanks for that, CVS. And somehow I convinced Eleanor that the exciting thing to do would be to pick out a new toothbrush. <laughs> she needed one anyway. We looked through the selection. Now, this is not a quick decision for a four-year-old. She passed over Elsa and Anna. Then she passed over Baby Shark and Paw Patrol. She passed over the very best that Disney and Pixar had to offer. What she ultimately chose was, by her description, the scariest toothbrush on the rack. After all, Mommy, it is almost Halloween. So brace yourselves. Are you ready for the scary toothbrush, the scariest one that CVS has to offer? Eleanor chose the Grinch. <laughs> because in her words, he is a real bad guy. Well, he is a bad guy. And as I kept working through the story of Zacchaeus this week, I kept coming back to Dr. Seuss's fuzzy green character. As the song goes, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus and charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. And then it continues, your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. And worst of all, Mr. Grinch hates Christmas. And he tries to ruin Christmas for everyone in Whoville. If you paid attention to Christmas music or Christmas movies or Christmas storybooks at all since the 1960s, then you know how the story ends. This needs no spoiler alert. The Grinch does all he can to ruin Christmas for everyone in Whoville. 
but when love and Christmas spirit is extended his way, despite what I would argue are his very arrestable offenses, by the way, his ice-cold heart is melted and grows three sizes. He was a mean one, that Mr. Grinch. But something, someone interrupted his course of destruction. Someone did not offer him the justice he deserved. Someone offered him exactly what he did not deserve. Grace. Zacchaeus, hated by his neighbors, probably for very good reason, is up in that tree. The man from Nazareth looks up into the branches at this man from Jericho, and he orders him to come down. Hurry and come down, he says, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus tumbles down from the perch in his tree. It could not have been a graceful exit, because there's no such thing as a graceful exit from a tree. And Zacchaeus happily welcomes Jesus into his home. This invitation, this encounter, is about Jesus' initiative. Up until this moment, Zacchaeus has not uttered a single word. Often, at least this is true for me, we hear the Zacchaeus story as a tale of repentance. Repent and be forgiven. It's the rhythm we follow in worship week after week. It's the way other passages in scripture describe it. Repent and you shall be forgiven. But here in Luke, with Zacchaeus, what we see is zero repentance until Jesus forgives him. Forgiveness, acceptance, is a movement that Jesus makes toward Zacchaeus. And the result, the result of this movement of grace on Jesus' behalf is transformation, true forgiveness. Think about it. What do we do when someone calls us out for our wrongs? What is your gut reaction when someone calls you out for something you have done or said that is wrong? Or as a child, what was your response? To deny? To defend? To hide? When you're afraid of judgment, you hide. It's when you know that you are forgiven, however, that you can truly be honest. Only when you are forgiven can you truly repent. It sounds backward, doesn't it? How different a thing it is to know that grace is already yours, that forgiveness has already been granted. Were we to place ourselves in Luke's scene, I wager that many of us, myself included, would be among the neighbors grumbling at Jesus, going to spend time with this sinner, our gosh-awful neighbor. I follow the rules. I can sympathize with the grumblers. We hate when people get away with things. We hate when others don't get the full weight of the law down upon them. We only like it when grace comes to us. The good news, of course, is that it does come to us. Grace does come to us, and that's what enables us to forgive. The passage tells us that Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home. And then we have a line that reveals the truth about who Zacchaeus is deep inside, the part of him inside that only Jesus could see. Look, Zacchaeus says, 
Half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay it back four times as much. Jesus' response to Zacchaeus is no lecture. He doesn't shame him or wag his finger in his face. Jesus' response to Zacchaeus is grace. And Zacchaeus' response reveals to us that he already knows what he is doing is wrong. He already knows. He is changed. And he repents because he is loved. Because he is forgiven. We are reminded that the kingdom is an upside-down sort of kingdom. Grace is given. Real repentance is shared. The grace here precedes the repentance. It seems backwards. This isn't how the world works, is it? If there's someone selfish, rich, powerful person today that we love to hate, the only way we will trust them is if that person gives it all away, and then maybe, maybe we'll think about forgiving them. We have to see the person to say, sorry, enough times, and then maybe we'll change our opinion about who they are. That's the way forgiveness works in this world. But in God's kingdom, Jesus forgives first. And the salvation Jesus promises is not just in heaven. It's not just some future glory for the next life. The salvation Jesus promises is now. The salvation Jesus promises is here. Somehow Jesus makes Zacchaeus innocent and pure, like his name. Jesus heals Zacchaeus in a way he didn't know he needed healing. It is as though Zacchaeus were born again, a child worthy of the name he carries. Jesus is once again turning the world upside down. He doesn't see Zacchaeus the way his neighbors saw him. He doesn't see us the way our neighbors see us. For that matter, the ways we even see ourselves. Jesus sees deeper than that. Jesus sees who and what you truly are. Your deepest self, who God made you to be and called you to be. Luke gives us in this story one of the greatest names for Jesus. The one who came to seek out and save the lost. Jesus has not come to call the worthy. Jesus has not come to call those that think they have it all together. Jesus has come to seek out and save the lost. That's us. That's you and me today or some other time in our lives. We are lost. And in Jesus, we are found. The beauty of this grace, of this good news, is that Jesus continues to come. That's how salvation works. We do not have to put our house in order first. We do not have to get ourselves all together. The beauty and the grace is that by the work of the Spirit, Jesus continues to come to us as guest among sinners. Thanks be to God. Amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.